0: Merry Christmas! I had an occasion this week, uh, in preparation for the season, where um, so I'm working outside, and I have the busyness of the busyness of Christmas in my spirit, and one of my kids is um, walking along, and they have the entitlement of Christmas in their spirit. Uh, both of these things kind of follow us the season along, and, and so in my busyness, I recruited him for work, and in his sense of entitlement, that violated Christmas, and we a conversation ensued, at which point somewhere in there, I yelled, I don't scream, I'm a man, but some people might have called it a scream, I yelled something like, Jesus is the reason, and I just felt ah, how I had misused the name of our Lord. Um, to kind of f- forward the busyness of the season, and I just want to encourage you this morning. This is the Lord's day, in so many different ways. It's a day of rest uh, that He's given to us. It's also a day of celebration, and uh, to neither let the busyness or the sense of entitlement to uh, capture what He's given us. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, uh, we are so grateful that you've come down. That the people walking in darkness have in fact seen a great light. Lord, and there's many things on a day like today that we're thankful for. uh, For the base material objects that we get, Lord. um, uh, For the visit of family and spending time with friends. For good food and relaxation and for time off. Um, But Lord, we acknowledge uh, now before you, um, that this day is a day of observance for a Savior who has come into the world. And we pray, Lord, uh, to guide us and to keep that before us uh, this season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to the third chapter of Matthew. Now, I'm going to read from Isaiah in a moment. But we have been in the middle of a sermon series on the coming of Christ. It's been a Christmas series for the past month, so if you're a family with us, you're joining us on the best day, but not the first day of these lessons. I'm going to read five verses from the 11th chapter of Isaiah. This is what is written A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the lord and he will delight in the fear of the lord he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears but righteousness with righteousness he will judge the needy with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And I'd like to pause there at this idea of righteousness as his belt and just take a second to look at, think through this passage that I just read Um, because it's already, it's said certain things in light of what we've said over the past month. Isaiah begins the 11th chapter. He says that a root, Will shoot up through the stump of Jesse, that there's going to be a branch out of the line of Jesse that's going to bear fruit. And and the, the Matthew, in writing his gospel, almost follows the the rhythm of the 11th chapter of Isaiah in a certain way. He begins with a king who's come out of the line of Jesse, just like he begins here. And then we talked uh, the second week in Matthew how the text showed that Jesus was a king, but he was altogether something more. He was more than just the average king, and and Isaiah does the same thing here. He says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding and of power and of knowledge. He's something more than a king. And then last Sunday we talked about the fact that Jesus is a different kind of king than the one we would expect, and Isaiah does the same thing. Isaiah says he will not discern by the things he sees with his eyes. And he will not make decisions by the things he hears with his ears, but with righteousness and with justice, he'll judge the poor and the needy. And so he's also different than the kind of king we would expect. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to take a time to meditate on this idea of righteousness. What does it mean to have a belt of righteousness, to judge with righteousness for, for this idea? And there's, there's so many things that can be said about the Messiah. There's really no, we couldn't talk exhaustively about Jesus on any given Sunday or on 52 Sundays or a life of Sundays. And so this morning we're going to isolate um, and just examine for a moment uh, what it means uh, for righteousness to be a part of the Christ. And that brings us to Matthew. So if you look there in Matthew 3. I'm going to begin in the 13th verse of Matthew 3. It's the baptism of Jesus. This is what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. John the Baptist is baptizing in this text. Um, And the baptism he's offering is what is called a baptism of repentance. That's why people are coming to be baptized, is they are repenting. And repenting means that they're very sorry for their life. They look at their life in light of the life that God calls us to, and they feel remorse, and they feel sorrow, and so uh, they're coming to John to express in an open way their grief and their desire to turn back to the Lord. And baptism is an outward sign of this this inward condition of the heart. That's what's happening in this baptism, is people from all over the land, both Jews and Gentiles, but uh, people are coming to John, and they're receiving baptism as a way of saying to the Lord and to those around them that they have been sinful, and they're turning towards the Lord. Their heart is turning towards Him again. This is what it means. Part of our baptism reflects this. Part of the baptism that we celebrate in the, in, in, in the church is this idea that repentance is a major part of this, this idea of turning to God. This is a basic element of the faith. This all salvation of all people, whoever comes to Christ, repentance is an element. It's a turning of your heart towards God. It's a wanting to do the right thing. It's placing righteousness above the other things in this life. The things that travel along with us. It's an expression of the heart. And in this case, when John is baptizing, he's he's baptizing this baptism of repentance, but, but it's not the water that's actually doing anything. This is there's nothing effectual happening here. It's it is a, a pattern or a shadow, of a deeper reality, and and this you can even tell by the fact that when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he's he acts as though um, the roles are reversed. He says, "I need to be baptized by you, and you come to." Receive baptism from me. And there's an expression there that, that John, there's nothing that John's doing. There's no power leaving John the Baptist that's purifying anyone. He's simply standing in place of a bigger idea. He is dispensing something that isn't really his to give in, in the fundamental sense. And he sees that. When he sees Jesus, he, he expresses his own sinfulness. He says, you know, in the absolute sense, I am in need of baptism from the Christ. So baptism here is it's not meaningless, but it's not effectual. It's an expression of a person's heart towards the Lord. And John says this. He says, I need baptism. He says, I too am in need. And to that Christ says he says these words, Jesus says. He says, Let it be so now. So John the Baptist sees him and says, Essentially, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. I need to be baptized, and you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, let it be so now. And in a way you can understand that it's not that Jesus, Jesus is not saying, oh, John, you're too hard on yourself. You're really righteous. He's not saying that. And he's also not saying, John, don't flatter me. He's not saying that either. There's kind of, it's a bigger statement. It's nonetheless, let's do this. It isn't, John, you're wrong. It's, even so, you need to baptize me. It's, even though you do need baptism, and even though I don't need baptism, in a sense of repentance, I need to be baptized. This brings this question to us. Why, in fact, is Jesus being baptized? If baptism right here is of repentance, well, we're dependent in our faith on the fact that Jesus did not need to repent. Our faith is built on the idea that he is the pure and sinless lamb of God. And so he arrives here, and, and John notes this. He says, you are not in need of baptism. And Jesus doesn't say, yes, I am. Jesus says, nonetheless, we need to do this. And he says, we need to do this, and here's the phrase, so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. That all righteousness might be fulfilled. Righteousness has a, a place in the faith. it has a, um, two two meanings. One is when we talk about ourselves. when we talk about our personal faith, we think of righteousness as your standing before the Lord, your stature before God are, are you standing right before him? Are you righteous before him paul Paul uses it this way over fifty times in, in the Bible. The apostle Paul talks this way your righteousness is as filthy rags, no one is righteous, no, not one. That has to do with God's perspective on us. Are we, in fact, uh, standing right before him uh, in and of the things that we do and have and are? That's one way of understanding righteousness. But there's there's a, a larger way of understanding righteousness. It's, it's thinking of righteousness um, with a capital R, like as though it is... Um, Um, a a profound, proper noun that the earth is in need of. The earth is in need of righteousness. And it isn't here. That's another way of looking at it. That's the way that the, the prophets would look at it is that there are things in this world that are broken and that are wrong and that are hateful and that are sad and there's grief and there's disappointment in this world and we look out and we see things that are evil or perverse or unjust or not quite right or upside down. And in all of this, in all of these things, it's the world's way of groaning in need of righteousness that that we don't have on the earth the righteousness needed to make things right. And it's in this sense that the prophets anticipated that the man who would come would in fact bring righteousness with him. And it shows up in the text. The first chapter of Isaiah. God, this is God speaking of how he's going to establish. It's all over the Old Testament, but this is just in Isaiah. God speaking of how he's going to reestablish his people. He says, I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your judges as in the days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. And afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness the faithful city. Isaiah 9, the passage that Pastor Terry read earlier, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The entire chapter of Isaiah 32 is entitled kingdom of righteousness and it begins this way see a king will reign in righteousness that's how it opens Isaiah 51 says this listen to me you who pursue righteousness who seek the Lord look to the rock from which you were cut to the quarry from which you were hewn my righteousness draws near speedily my salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. That the writer's connecting salvation with the idea that righteousness is coming. Isaiah 53, which we quote, which all the time at the crucifixion of Christ, says this, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Isaiah 56, the first verse says this. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Isaiah 61 says this. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Isaiah 63, this is how it begins. This is the Lord pronouncing himself. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. When Jesus says to John, let it be so now, for this has to happen so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Jesus is bringing in this idea that righteousness has to come to us. There is an, the idea of when, when John looks at Jesus and says, I, "What's happening to you should be happening to me." This is, this is the story of the gospel. This is prefiguring all of the work of Christ. In a sense, John is saying, "You're standing into a place that I ought to be." And Jesus is saying, "I know." so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Listen, it is not enough. It is not enough in the faith that you repent. Repentance is our response. But repentance is hopeless if righteousness has not come. It's not enough to be sorry amidst a broken world. We are are dependent upon someone who brings righteousness with him, and stands in the gap for us. This is the gift of Christ. This is the gift of Christ that's shown here at baptism, of Christ who comes, and not because he has need, but because in order to fulfill our righteousness, he's laid down and he's brought back up for mankind so that all righteousness might come. This is the picture. This is the picture of the cross and of the empty tomb and of the crucifixion. This is it, that Christ brings righteousness, and we receive His righteousness through faith. Righteousness is coming. It has come. It continues to come, and it's coming again. This idea of the parousia, which we've said all month, which is the Greek way of expressing the coming of a king, we we receive that. We receive that today in celebrating the fact that Christ came, We celebrate it every day in the fact that the Spirit has come and is in us. And we look forward to the fact that Christ is coming again. I'll close in Isaiah. This is what a world with righteousness looks like. This is how the writer describes it. It's a world where the wolf will live with the lamb. Where the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child puts his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I pray this Christmas that you might experience the righteousness of Christ and be brought to God's mountain.